for this. What is nothing? Yeah, that's D. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. Welcome to That's Deep Bro. I'm Christina Pajitsky, Serious Questions with Silly People. And today I'm going to talk about stressed out, man. Why am I so stressed out? Why is everybody so stressed out? Why? Why? I get so many emails from people and I totally get it, bros. You guys are like, I'm freaking out, man. And then I listen to your podcast and it calms me down. Or Why, why do I never have time to be with my family? Well, maybe it's because I don't really want to be with my family. Let's correct that. (laughs) Let's 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 straighten that out. okay? Uh, also, you know, why is leisure time important? How did leisure time get sucked away from us as an American society? And uh, what are we working so hard for? What am I what am I working so hard for to, to, to own stuff? What's that all about? And, and how do we get into that as Americans? I'm going to explore all that today. Um, you can hear that's a, I hope you don't hear that. It's a vacuum cleaner in the next room. <laughs> Apologies. Listen, if you want to support my show, do me a flavor. Do me a solid. When you do your Amazon shopping, please use my banner on thatsdeepbropodcast.com. And what I mean that, what I mean by that, there's a little square on the bottom of every post. And uh, you just click on that. Why, why do I have to burp every time I start the show? How come the only time I have to burp, cough, uh, urinate, any body function happens when I turn on this microphone in an attempt to do the show? <sighs> I got problems. Point is, do your shopping through my banner. Please, please, please. It helps me out. Uh, and I appreciate if you already have. And also meows come see me do stand-up comedy believe it or not i that is what i do for a for a living it doesn't seem that way sometimes on the show but it's true come see me tell jokes um in cincinnati at go bananas april 23rd 24th 25th and then on the 26th my husband's gonna come with me on this week and we're gonna do your mom's house podcast on the 26th which is kind of exciting it's so much better when you have um your husband with you on the road, <laughs> right? Obviously, it's better. It's better to do things with people around you. Maybe not isolate yourself uh, so much, Christina. Have you ever thought about that? Incorporating other people into your life. It's so funny. Like today, even I, you know, I go for a walk in the morning. I find that it's important to clear your head before you do anything else. You know what I mean? Like don't don't wake up and just reach for the iPhone and check the emails. Just don't. You're not doing anybody any favors because you're not you're not there yet. I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you're one of these people who they shoot out of the bed and everything's right. They just love life and <laughs> ready to answer those emails. Not me, bros. I, I got to get my mind right. And I go on these walks alone generally. And today I was like, why don't I ask my husband to join me? How's that for a wacky idea? And it was great. It was it was fantastic. <sighs> See? people um i think that's all i got for for this for this intro let's get into it i have i have a lot to share i'm very excited to be with you again and okay let's get into it i like to start god i fucking love this song if you don't listen to the clash i don't know why you don't i think this is like one of my favorite one of my favorite bands and this song lost in the supermarket man i i don't know what it is about this song but like I hear this and it resonates with every goddamn bone in my body. I I feel like ugh, I wish I would have written the song. I should have I should have been a, a punk rock musician. Okay, let's open. Oh, hold on. I, I always do this. I can't 
best song lost in the supermarket i'm all lost in the supermarket i you ever feel that way when you're going i you know i go to albertson's here go to trader traders traders joe as my immigrant family calls it traders joe there's no s after trader but my dad likes to put it there i go to traders joe i was in the uh which aisle was it the other day man i almost had an anxiety attack See, my finger's going in my mouth right now just thinking about it. You know, you just you just want some toothpaste even. And um, and you're like, dude, how many, po- how many possible varieties of toothpaste do we need as Americans? Really, truly, do I need, I mean, this one whitens, but this one's like extreme white. And then this one here, this one's minty fresh, but that one's extra minty. And it, it's just, it's crazy how much shit there is to consume and to buy and why do I feel like I need I need it all and part of me you know I was raised super immigrant my parents are uh, Hungarian immigrants they escaped from Hungary in 1969 under barbed wire fences and they they uh, got put so they escaped from Hungary through Yugoslavia they got caught in Yugoslavia they got sent back to Hungary on a train And as the train was leaving from Yugoslavia, my parents go, no, fuck this. They got off the train, (laughs) went back through Yugoslavia, found somebody to take them to Italy. Um, They got to Italy. They stayed in a camp in Italy for a year before the Catholic Church sponsored them to go to Canada. And that's where I was born in Canada in 1976. Think about that story. The struggle, the strife to get to America. And here I am, their offspring, blessed just so i'm so thrilled to be in this country I have no idea uh april 1st by the way is the day i became an american in 1994 and i love it i goddamn i love this country i would much rather be here than be anywhere else in the world well maybe scandinavia they've kind of figured things out haven't they maybe like holland holland's pretty good man you know they, they don't you have to petition to work full-time in holland did you know that that most people just work part-time but I got to work. You know, in America, we like to work. You got to work hard because if you work hard, you can make your dreams come true. And let me let me tell you something. My father and my mother, uh, Art and Edith Pajitsky, came to America in 1980. Uh, well, they, they landed in Canada with nothing. My father told me he had $5 in his pocket and he got off the plane. This is my favorite story. The first time he ever, yeah, he got off the plane in Canada and he says, oh, I thought it was a miracle that I could buy a can of soda and a virschli, which is hot dog. <laughs> he goes, I buy a can of soda and a virschli for $5. This is the best country in the world. And then he went to Detroit and he saw the big cars and he saw black people for the first time. And he goes, now this is the country I belong. Because <laughs> my dad saw most likely a pimp. But there you have it. And I it's been instilled in me since I was very small that this is the country to be in. You know, my father talked about being 16 years old in Hungary and loving everything American, listening to the radio. And he loved the Beatles, of course, as I'm sure so, the world did back in the 60s. But he loved Coca-Cola. He loved what it represented, the freedom um the fun right that that magic brown liquid that transforms your life we're still being told that if you see those commercials it's a coke and a smile right guys and um it's so funny because now they put they put your name on the the bottles right was the summer where you could you could buy the the coke with your name on it (laughs) but um so yeah my parents really really and i am with right rightly so i don't know if you know this a lot of americans don't but 
not a lot of Americans. Some people don't aren't aware, but in Hungary and and you know they got screwed. Hungarians got real screwed in terms of government. Like uh, you know the Russians with communism, they kind of ruin stuff. <laughs> Is that what they say in the history books? <laughs> the Russians they fucked everything up. Was what my father says. They they came over. They. Uh, made everybody speak Russian. They took over freedom of religious practice. So you, you weren't allowed to go to church, but my father rebelled and he was an altar boy. He said on Sundays, even though he didn't really, you know, like church, but he loved the idea of sticking it to the Russians, which I like too. Um, yeah, the Germans, the Nazis, they kind of screwed up the country too. So, you know, years of oppression and of dog shit, really made my family want to seek out this great country, uh, which I think a lot of people came here for that too. So here I am. It's 2015. I'm a grown-ass woman. I'm 38 years old. And I did it. I did it all. I did everything I was supposed to do. I went to, um, went, I barely got through high school, but I, I got through it. And I, <laughs> I barely broke a thousand on the SATs. Let's be honest here. Not so great at math. I think I got three something on the math portion. And this is back before the, I know they changed the scoring system now. Okay. I know I'm aware guys. Now there's even a written part on the SAT. Can you believe that? (sighs) Back in my day, they gave you 500 points just for writing your name. That was the big joke. So somewhere I screwed up. Um, So yeah, man, I got into college. I did college. I was so panicked that I would, ruined my life that I gave myself, meaning that I was so panicked about not doing well in college because that meant that I would be a failure for the rest of my life, right? I bought into that whole thing that you got to get straight A's. And I gave myself hives the first semester in college because I was, I had to get straight A's, you know, because I was kind of a fuck up in high school. Let's be honest, I didn't really do a lot. And I got into college, I thought, I really got to, I got to knock this out of the park. And I, I, I basically wore myself down into anxiety. I, you know, I was always a smoker from the time I was 13, but I, re- I was smoking I, a lot more than usual, drinking a lot, you know. Uh, it wasn't eating, which, you know, come on, wish I had that habit now of not eating, right? <laughs> but um, I just, I did everything I should, and then I graduated, and I thought, well, now, now that I've got the straight A's, I graduated, you know, come magna cum come your butthole louds, whatever that is. And I thought, well, I gotta, I gotta go to grad school. So I went to law school for two whole weeks and I, uh, wanted to blow my brains out. And then I, you know, eventually went on this road of being a comic. (laughs) So what, you know, Hey man, I did it. And now I'm here and I, I work hard. I do. And I believe in hard work. And I think a lot of you do too. I believe in hard work. But sometimes you just go, hey, man, is that all there is? Is that, is that, is is this it? So I worked hard. I got the job. Some of you are lucky enough to own your own house. We don't, we don't own our house. We live in California. No, who can afford to buy a house in California? Come on. We rent, which I'm totally fine with, because I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure that owning the house is really all it's cracked up to be. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look, something breaks down. We call the landlord his problem. That's always how I look at it. His problem. Toilet doesn't flush. Not my problem. Lights out in the garage. Not my problem. You deal with that. You know? But I got I gotta buy toothpaste. I gotta get uh I gotta get I gotta go to Crate and Barrel. I love Crate and Barrel. There is there is an age around 32 where I started to get those catalogs and they made sense. Cause up until then, I loved I led a pretty ascetic life. I I lived like a monk for most of my life. And a lot of that being the Hungarian upbringing, a lot of that being the communist hardcore ethic of uh, what do you need? Come on. You don't need nothing. When I was a child, we had, uh, I had for Christmas, I had one orange and I was very happy. You have too much things in this country, too much, too much, too many choices. And I and I do think to some extent that like yeah it's true there's so many there's so many avenues to go down there's so many choices in this country and uh are we really happier for it are people really happier you know and there's some days you ask me that question and I will go dude let me tell you something people who say money can't buy happiness 
are idiots because I've grown up broke. I've been, I've done been broke as an adult. And I got to tell you, having money solves a lot of problems. And I, I really hate the audacity of like, it's usually people like Oprah Winfrey or, you know, Deepak Chopra, who P.S. they have millions of dollars who love to tell us how great it is to not own crap and uh, <laughs> and not care about it. Okay, well, why don't you give your millions uh, to all of us and then you can proselytize about the, the, the romanticism of being poor. Give me a fucking break, you know? Give me a break. Go to Africa and give some sandwiches to people, you know? Did you like my solution to the world's problem? <laughs> That's what Africans need. They just need some sandwiches, guys. Come on. I can solve all the world's problems with sandwich, some hoagies. <laughs> I can't believe I, I do this podcast. I'm going one of these days. <sighs> okay, so the point is I'm here. I love this country. I do think money can buy happiness. I absolutely hate people that, uh, you know, disagree with me, you know. It can't buy long-term happiness, but it can sure alleviate a lot of that day-to-dayness, that day-to-day anxiety that you face, right? Life's a lot more pleasant when you don't have to worry about uh, paying for health care or how, how am I going to pay the rent or, you know, gosh, my car, my car might break down today on the way to my job and then I'll lose both a car and a job. Life's a lot better with money. Uh, but long-term happiness, you know, I think everybody agrees that that's why you see rich people losing their goddamn minds, right? That's why you see uh, actors, famous people, they implode. They go, they go nuts when they get all the money and the fame. They don't know because the problem is, bros, you still got to live with the voice in your head, with the chatterbox, the monkey, the, the, the crazy demon seed known as your own thinking. And that is the problem. So here's what I did. This weekend, the point of the story is I couldn't take anymore. The husband and I have been working very, very hard, working very, very hard for our American dream. We're, we're uh, working on a show called How to Be a Grown-Up, second season, and then we're also writing a pilot. So it's, it's a lot, and plus stand-up and podcasts, et cetera, life, et cetera, et cetera, and, uh, which is a good problem to have. Come on, I'm not complaining, not complaining. But we decided to take a break because it was Easter weekend anyways, and... Um, we took a goddamn break. And it's interesting how for many years it took me, it gave me so much uh, shame and guilt to take a break. Why? Why do I feel uh, this crippling fear of if I, if my hand's not on this driving wheel, this driving wheel, the steering wheel, if my hand's not on the steering wheel, the car's going to go off the rails, Right. Right. Like I can't I can't possibly take four days off, off my ridiculous show business career to enjoy uh, the simple things, which I look, I don't do I don't do anything exotic. I'm not out hunting elephants, you know, or uh, I'm, on, I'm not on safari when I take a break. All I'm here's what I love to do on a break. I like to sit on the, the beach. We know that we've discussed this on this show. I like to uh, I like to sit and stare at things. I'm telling you, I could do this for hours. I love to sit in an in a outdoor, like a nature setting and just stare at trees and just hear sounds and uh, just kind of just shut the fuck up because I don't think there's enough of that time and space allotted to us as Americans, as, as humans to just be human. To just sit, when's the last time you sat down and you just pet the dog and really got into just petting the dog? Or when's the last time in traffic you sat down and, and, and you, instead of compulsively, which, hey, I am, and I'm all for you guys listening to my show. Believe me, don't turn this off as I'm talking. But, but how many times you get in the car and, and you can't even stand the silence because you're alone in traffic and you, you run to find something to to fill uh, to fill the emptiness the space because god forbid that you would have to be quiet for 2 seconds and just ex- and just be <laughs> and just exist and i feel like you know uh, I, that's why i want the millions of dollars guys not to buy stuff it's just so that i can wake up every day and do nothing cuz to me leisure time that is the ultimate the ultimate uh goal is time it's time. Time is the biggest resource that you have. And I, I don't have children. And I know I always hear Oprah talking about it, even though she doesn't have children. 
<laughs> what is she talking about giving people children advice? But I always hear people say, you got to, you know, you got to be present with your kids. You got to spend time with your kids. And it's the same thing. You got to spend time with you. Well, is it so hard in the morning to wake up and just shut the fuck up and just sit there and just be kind of quiet? And you know, so many people can't, man. They can't do that. It's brutal. Now, where's the philosophy? All right, here we go. Here we go. I have so many thoughts on this. I really enjoy this topic. I think this is one of my lifelong quests. Hold on, I'm going to vomit. I had a bunch of eggs before I did this. I think that this is one of my lifetime uh, topics. I absolutely love this topic. This is the nearest and dearest to my heart. And the first time I ever thought about thinking, which is what we're doing, we're talking about thinking about thinking, which is obscure and crazy sounding. But if you read Socrates, I'm sure you read your Socrates in your 101 philosophy class. If you haven't, it's okay. Because Socrates didn't actually write anything. His homeboys did, Plato, his students, they wrote down like these conversations that Socrates would have with people. And the cool thing about Socrates is that he was kind of annoying. Like he was... Oh, do you hear that? It's a failure. <laughs> he was super annoying. Like, actually, when I read um, some of that writing, he kind of he kind of irks me because he's like uh, he's like a rabble rouser, right? He's he's asking people questions that there really are no answers to. Like, what is virtue? And people are like, oh, I'm just like, it's like being being good at stuff, Socrates. And he's like, well, what does it mean to be good at stuff? And then the person's like, I don't know. Why don't I fucking kill you? So basically, Socrates annoyed people so much that the government was like this guy's a subversive uh this is in athens by the way in greece this is like what i don't know fucking the year 400 or something crazy like that so they uh they poisoned him with hemlock he's sentenced to death by hemlock which i imagine is probably not a good way to die and uh but the crazy part is is that socrates believed so much in his way of thinking and being that he would rather die than to think another way. So basically he died for his causes, like for his way of thinking. And he had this great sentence. And I think that this is probably, if you don't give a shit about philosophy, but this is definitely the one sentence I think that matters the most to all of humanity in all times and all cultures and all spaces. It is the most important thing on the planet. Write it down, commit it to memory. And the saying is, the sentence is, the unexamined life is not worth living. Did you hear that? The unexamined life is not worth living. Now, Socrates died. <laughs> he would rather die than uh live an unexamined life and i i don't know if i would take i don't know actually now that i think about it the way my brain works but i think that there you know people there there are people who live day to day there are people some in your family maybe maybe your sister (laughs) maybe a brother who you're like how how are we related because i think about stuff all day that you don't seem to care about you know there are people there there's day-to-day problems you got to you know, you got to get a job, you got to drive to the job, you got to sit in traffic, you have kids, you got to take care of the kids, you got to put food on the table. And I get that. That's so, that's so valid. That is how life is. But then there's this other layer to existence, right? You got to examine your life. You got to take the time to sit down, to shut the fuck up and to think about things, to think about why, why did this happen? Or what's going on here? What is the meaning of this? You know, I, I look at people in my life and I see them making the same mistakes over and over and it's it pains me. It absolutely pains me because had, had they just applied the sentence, the unexamined life is not worth living, if they just examined their lives for, for a millisecond, I guarantee this could solve so many of the world's problems, this one sentence of philosophy. <laughs> I mean it. I mean, think about all the people that you know. Maybe you have a boss who's crazy or a parent, or, or whoever, and you're like, bro, 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 why don't you just think about this for a minute? You're acting like a fucking lunatic. No. I don't know. Whatever. Is my way better? I don't know. I'm not sure it is. Because thinking actually leads to a lot of other things, right? Because if you start thinking about your shit, then you gotta change it. 
And that's the real problem, isn't it? Humans don't want to change how they've been doing stuff. You want to do it the way you've always been doing it because it's comfortable that way. You don't want to, nobody wants to think about stuff. It's so much easier to just keep going. Just get lost in the supermarket, guys. Buy some more shit. <laughs> Buy some more stuff. So there you go. I started reading this great book based on this. So I, I you know, I, I took this time down this week and I examined my life and I found a book my friend Eric recommended to me called 10% Happier by Dan Harris, who's a news anchor. And if you, you got to read this book, bros, not, you know, not even so much for its philosophical content, but because this guy worked, he is working as a newscaster and he talks so much smack on Peter Jennings, which is hilarious. Did you guys know that Peter Jennings was kind of a piece of shit? <laughs> Surprise, America's, uh, you know, number one newsman was a colossal dick face. And I love hearing that kind of stuff, as I'm sure most of us do, too. Uh, but anyways, yeah, Dan Harris, 10% happier. Pick it up. He talks about, I think, what most Americans go through, right? This drive. Uh, a lot of us have this this merciless drive to succeed. And you do it to the peril of many things. Uh, he talks about, this is great. Hold on. Let me find the exact phraseology. You're going to love this. Okay, so here's an excerpt from Dan Harris's book, 10% Happier. It's pretty fantastic. So, you know, he's he's this young news guy. He really wants to make it, which I totally relate to. You know, as a comedian, God knows I have done. I really put in the, the work and you just, you, you know, you worry about every little thing. Am I going to get this? Did that person get that? And you compare yourself to others and what, what what if I don't get that? You know, the ego is constantly telling you, your mind is constantly telling you evil shit. So anyway, this is, this is just, his writing is fantastic. He's actually a really funny guy. So, okay, so he's covering, this is, hold on, hold on. It goes, a few weeks later, as the maelstrom of Ground Zero coverage began to abate, so this is after 9-11, I was back uptown in my office one afternoon when my phone rang. The caller ID read, foreign desk. The voice on the other end of the line said, we need you to go to Pakistan. A pint of dopamine was released into my brain. After I hung up the phone, I actually paced around the room, pumping my fist. This, fittingly, was how I began the most dangerous and formative years of my life, with a series of douchey gestu gesticulations. Hilarious. Douchey gesticulations. What wonderful self-awareness this man has to uh, to write about himself and his actions that way. I thought that was really interesting. So basically, this guy goes to cover war um, and, you know, spends like a couple years doing that, comes back and realizes that kind of he's missed out on his life in, in the sense that, you know, he hasn't seen his family. He doesn't have a meaningful relationship. Televisions changed from VHS to playing DVDs. He hadn't even switched over a VCR to a DVD player, which is hilarious. And he's kind of hooked on the adrenaline of war, which they say a lot of veterans are. Hold on one second. Hold on. I had to say goodbye to somebody. Okay, so so he's hooked on war. He's hooked on the adrenaline of of being there. And I, and I understand a lot of veterans go through that. I'm sorry if I just said that, but I just had to say goodbye to somebody and I forgot where I was. Uh, which I understand because if you're dealing with war, if you're dealing with all the stuff that's happening in front of you immediately, if you're always in crisis mode, you never have to deal with what's under that, what's, what feelings you may have about things. Uh, you never have to actually deal with yourself if you're always dealing with other people's drama. Does that sound familiar? It's called being a person, bros. It's what we all do. That's why we overschedule. That's why we get involved in other people's dramas. Oh, don't we love hearing what's going on with so-and-so? Huh? What did she say? What are they? Oh, my gosh. Can you believe my Aunt Carol didn't invite me over to that dinner? <laughs> so he comes back from war. <laughs> it develops a rad coke habit because now he needs to find another high. And then basically gets his ass into therapy and then starts interviewing people like Eckhart Tolle and uh, Deepak Chopra and all these self-help guru types and eventually discovers this uh, discovers that they're all rooted in Buddhism, which is what 
you know, which is kind of rad. And um, he starts to meditate. And he's not one of these people. If you if you if you want to know about meditation and the process of getting into it, not from an airy fairy, you know, Oprah way of doing it. And I I get annoyed too. Like I I've read Eckhart Tolle too, but it's so like oh the pain body and the <laughs> the transcendental mind, blah blah blah. And you're like, what are you talking about, bro? Like how is this even rational? Read Dan Harris's book. I think it'll give you a clear idea because he's a real skeptic when it comes to all this stuff too. Um, but he starts practicing meditation and it's just five minutes a day, eventually 20 minutes, whatever. And it really helps. It helps separate you from your thoughts. And I know I've ranted about this on the show forever, but it's only because I really, really think that is the only salvation here. Cause you can't drop out of society. I mean, you can, but do you want to personally, some part of me enjoys five different types of cereal in my cabinet. <laughs> I like I like knowing that there's 10,000 variations of the spaghetti sauce that I need to have. I like Crate and Barrel. I like knowing I can buy this glass and I'm going to I'm probably going to break it because I break everything. I'm going to go back. I'm going to I need I need the dish, the olive dish that comes inside. You ever seen the bowls they have at Crate and Barrel? It's bowls inside of a bowl, inside of another bowl like the Russian dolls of bowls. Oh god, I love it. Oh, I live for dumb crap like that now. Okay. So Dan Harris, that's where I'm, that was my jump off point. And then I started to think about uh, something I read in college about leisure time. And, uh, and it brought me back to one of my absolute, you know, come on. I, I like the French. Let's be honest. I love Jean Baudrillard, Jean Baudrillard, uh, post-structuralist philosopher. What does that mean? Not really sure. <laughs> studied symbiotics language i don't know if you've ever heard of, in postmodernism they have this fancy shit about you know signs and symbols and the signified and the signifier and really what that's about to break it down in normal people language is how do we understand language how do we understand meaning what is it in baudrillard who i absolutely love watch the matrix you ever watch the matrix there's an homage to baudrillard he pulls down a book, Keanu Reeves, when um, the lady comes, whatever, you know, from the club. She's got the rabbit on her shoulder. Uh, this is an homage to Baudrillard because basically what happened is, okay, let's say there's a world back in the beginning. Back in the beginning of time, there were signs and symbols and they made sense because they referred to something that actually existed. So let's say you saw uh, Cleopatra, the image of Cleopatra, and you went, oh, I know Cleopatra. She was this Egyptian lady and apparently had a vibrator with bees in it. That's what I know about Cleopatra. I heard that on some real sex documentary. And uh, yeah, I know her. And then let's say in 1995, Madonna dresses up like Cleopatra. And now the symbol, the sign, the signifier, the signified, now the symbol, the symbol becomes a little harder to decipher. Okay, so that's Cleopatra. I know what that is. But now it's combined with Madonna. And Madonna kind of represents this thing. So now we've got these two mashings of symbols and meanings in a different context of meaning. And it gets a little confusing. The world gets to be a bit of a, a confusing place. And Baudrillard referred to that as a hyper-reality. Where signs and symbols and, and postmodern culture, which is what we live in, kind of meaning gets obscured because of, well, symbols being rehashed. He called it, I think, pastiche was the word. Like if you look at a movie like um, pop, pop, Pulp Fiction, uh, the the movie seems oddly familiar to you, right? Like you go, oh, I kind of, gosh, why does it seem familiar? It's because it's been something that's done in the past. It's like film noir, I guess, what that genre would be called, or I don't know what the heck it is. But they kind of redo it. They rehash it, but they bring something new to the table. And now the symbols get kind of mixed up. You're not really sure what the heck is going on there. So that's Baudrillard's stuff in a nutshell. But he wrote this great book called For a Critique of the Political Economy of the Sign. Oh, shit, right? Talk about a terrifying title. For a Critique of the Political Economy of the Sign. Holy mother. And not only that, it's got a terrible cover. Horrible cover. It's black. And then there's like a farmhouse made out of white X's and line. It's possibly the worst uh, design I've ever seen 
for a book cover ever. And I, I read this book in college and I just wanted to bring up uh, a couple of ideas in here, which I find really cool about American culture. So this book starts off, starts off. Uh, so anyways, he was, he was into Marx at the time, John Baudrillard and uh, Marx wrote a book about capitalism, uh, the political economy of shit. I don't even fucking remember. Basically this is a, in, this is an extension or a critique of Marx because he was into Marx and uh, at the time. So this is really interesting. I, I really, this has stuck with me for many, many years. And I think this is why we as Americans struggle with the idea of not being productive. We struggle with the idea of, oh my God, if I'm not working towards something, what am I doing? So in chapter one, he cites Veblen, who I don't know who the hell Veblen is. I never knew who Veblen, Veblen, I think he's German, so maybe Veblen. Maybe it's Veblen. (laughs) Okay, are you ready? This is my absolute favorite. He writes, one of the major indications of prestige, apart from wealth and wasteful expenditure, in parentheses, dilapidation, is waste of time. Exercise directly or by proxy, in parentheses, vicarious leisure. Oh, what does that mean? One of the major indications of prestige, apart from wealth and wasteful expenditure, is waste of time. So what's interesting is back in the day, back in the aristocratic times, back when there was a much more defined class system, I imagine, that existed, the ultimate, ultimate testament to your uh, your level of wealth and like making it is your ability to do nothing. Hey man, hasn't that been my philosophy this whole damn time? Has isn't this what I've been talking about? Give me enough money so I don't have to do shit with my life. I've never I never wanted to do anything. I knew when I was a kid, people asked me, "What do you want to be?" I said, "Nothing. Nothing sounds good. It all sucks." And I was right. Damn it, I should have been aristocracy. So that's how it starts, right? You uh, you were defined by how pale your skin was because it meant that you didn't have to go out and toil in the fields. And you did nothing. Look at Downton Abbey. <laughs> you watch Downton Abbey? Talk about doing nothing. Those Those broads, they don't do anything. And then the war comes and they get jobs and then, you know... Lord Grantham is out of his mind because his daughter Sybil wants to go work in the in the hospital. Sybil, you can't work with aristocracy <sighs> because it's right. That's that's how you show what a baller you were by how little you did. And how did that change? By the way, how did it go from baller status being, hey man, I don't do shit to, oh, I work all the time. You know how how much of a badge of honor it is for people to talk about how busy they are, at least in showbiz, my God, you got to hear how busy everybody is all the time. And if you're not talking about how busy you are, then you must not be doing it. You must not be important. I'm not doing stuff. (laughs) Okay. Now, how does it get fucked up? Here it goes. The world of objects does not escape this rule, this constraint of superfluousness. It is always present in their uselessness, their futility, their superfluousness. Didn't we say that word already? Their superfluousness, their decorativeness, and their non-functionality in entire categories of objects. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Now, how did this happen? What he's saying, basically, hold on, hold on. Oh, there's a better thing than he wrote. Hold on. Hold on. Hold your mother. Okay, basically, here's what happened. Max Weber writes about this, too, uh, in his book on capitalism. Basically, what happens is you have this leisure class, and the Puritans, they founded our great country, these Puritans. And what do Puritans do? One of the foundations uh, of their belief is that, uh, you know, idle, uh, what is it? The devil makes use of idle hands. Idle time is the devil's playground. Is that the idea? So the Puritans founded America, and boy, did they like to work. They love to work. And so Weber will argue that around the time of, I think it was a Protestant Reformation, is the development of capitalism, which I think later that's his, that's not that's proved incorrect by some other guy. But his theory is that, so capitalism is developed around the time 
that the Puritans were doing their thing. And that's why you look at Scandinavian countries. They all love this work ethic crap. So America gets founded on these religious principles that makes working all the time kind of a way to serve God. It was a, it was a visible a visible representation of your belief in God is by how hard you worked. And they didn't believe in taking downtime. You know, you watch these Amish shows on TV, same shit. You got to work all the time because working is, is how uh, you get closer to God. And that's, so you go from time, time being, uh, 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 the preservation of time being one of the highest commodities to, to this guy, Ben Franklin saying, Time? No, no, no. Time is money. So leisure time used to be something that that was the highest good. And now time shouldn't be wasted. It's money. Uh, Ben Franklin, by the way, talk about a cool dude. I mean, (laughs) this guy, Ben Franklin, remember when we learned about him? He was like, nobody does this stuff anymore. Nobody, nobody was president and, you know, discovered electricity and was a scientist and wrote what is it, Poor Richard's Almanac, and did all that. This guy, Ben Franklin, is basically like a a rapper of today. You know, in rappers, they're always like, yo, I'm a writer, producer, director. I also make peanuts on the side. You're like, what do you not do, bro? That was Ben Franklin. Really neat. But anyway, so this uselessness is saying (laughs) the uselessness of being idle, which is, I think, so funny and ostentatious. We loved... Back then, they loved that stuff. Gets kind of infused into capitalism today. And uh, Marx believed that people, they based their needs on what they actually needed. Like if you needed a hammer, then, you know, well, of course, surely there are natural needs in the world and you would need a hammer and then you would get your your hammer. But Baudrillard says, no, I think it's a little more complicated than that. You know, human beings are layered beings. And, uh, you know, stuff like psychoanalysis and Freud brought into things like libidinal desires and the unconscious and all this stuff. And there are actually things like false needs. For instance, hello, have you watched television? Is there a reason I'm being marketed 5,000 different lipsticks and and mascaras? Really? How many goddamn uh, 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 skin creams are there? And it creates a false need. You, you start to shit your pants a little if you don't have the right, you know, the, the right uh, foundation. Oh, my God. Do I not have the right foundation? <laughs> so basically, there's a bunch of false needs. And uh, that's what capitalism is founded on, right? Creating needs, false shit. And now here's the really interesting part. Oh, I love Baudrillard for this idea. Is that... So we want stuff, but you don't want just any stuff. Let's say you need a car, okay? It's not enough to just want a Honda, because guess what? A Honda will get you from point A to point B, just like, you know, hello, it's a car. But he's saying, you right now, capitalism, what that does is go, yeah, but do you want a Honda or do you want a BMW? Because a BMW, a BMW owner, you know, they're sexy. You know, maybe maybe James Bond drove a BMW in a movie and don't, don't you want to be like James Bond? So it's really not so much about the object, but what the object signifies, what it symbolizes. So when you pick, let's say the Mercedes over the BMW, the Lamborghini over the Ferrari, you're not only just saying, I like this Ferrari. You're saying, I want to belong. I want to align myself to the class of people, the type of people that like this X brand. You're actually buying into an entire culture of symbols, an entire system of symbols when you choose something. Because really, the object has value. The object has use, but not that much more use because it's it's got this fancy crap to it, right? I'm trying to think of a better example. Oh, perceived theory of value. That's a huge tenet of uh, capitalism. And what that is, is like, um, you know how diamonds are appraised by the De Beers people? Diamonds are rocks. They're just found in nature. They're really shiny and pretty. And then this company, the De Beers evil company, 
they decide how much these things should be priced at. It's so arbitrary. It, that is completely capitalism at its finest perceived theory of value because somebody dictates that. And now uh, we all, you know, in and of itself, a diamond doesn't have value. We infuse it with that kind of value. Uh, same thing with meaning and with brands, you know, it's Coke versus Pepsi. They're both brown liquid, but for some reason we are mystified by one over the other, right? Coke symbolizes more as it did with my father. Coke symbolized America. Coke represented freedom. And so when you buy a Coke, you're buying into everything that is American. It's not just the brown liquid, which by the way, if you've seen those videos on YouTube, apparently they can like rot any, Coke can rot anything. If you put anything in Coke, you put a penny in Coke, the penny disappears. So I love this idea uh, of symbols and how, and it's just so funny. He, he has this great example where he says, it's not enough. So basically, yeah, it's not enough in capitalism to have like, uh, which I've seen this happen in rel with relatives of mine. You go to somebody's house. It's not enough to have the cup. You have to have the cup on the coaster, but then the coaster has to be outlined with a doily. And the doily has to be on, <laughs> has to be encased on a, you know, a special uh, box thing. And then the box thing has to be on the table. It's not enough to have the window. The window has to be dressed. And then the dressing has to be like this. And then it has to be, it's the signifying, the signifier, the symbol, the symbol around the symbol, around the symbol, around the symbol. Which I think is, it's just a, it's a neat thought. It's, it's neither here nor there. I'm not judging you if you like Coke or Pepsi. I'm not saying it's wrong to want the Ferrari over the Maserati or whatever, but it's interesting that you're not just buying a useful object because it's like if you look at something like an iPhone, like actually, actually, that's pretty useful. But after a certain level, I mean, come on, the utility and it's not that much like why do I choose the um, the iPhone over the Android? You know, it's because I believe on some level it's a, it's a sleeker looking technology. I like to think that I belong to the group of people who uh, who like iPhones, you know. I'm not, I'm not one of these, I'm not one of these Android people. Come on. What am I, a communist? No, American all the way. So there you go. That's the critique of the polit political economy of the sign. Jean Baudrillard. Uh, but his ideas get morphed later into cooler, crazier shit. But this is the first, this is the first one I fell in love with. I really like that book. Yes. And the, the point of this whole thing being uh, I took four days down, right? And the importance of reclaiming leisure time. Um, yeah, the importance of reclaiming space in our world. Because, uh, you know, it's just a treadmill, guys. You're just in that hamster wheel of working hard to get the crap to let other people know how great you are. <laughs> it's pretty meaningless, isn't it? I really love the idea of the Jewish Sabbath. Um, what I do in the house, I, do, I, have a, I have a policy in this house. Do not call me on a Sunday. Don't text me. Don't send me an email. Because guess what, bro? My phone is off. Off. You hear me? I'm not checking Facebook on a Sunday. I'm not tweeting. And I sure as fuck, if I'm in town, I'm not doing a show. Don't even ask me to do stand-up on a Sunday. You know, you guys have heard me say this crap before because I, I firmly believe it. When I was a kid growing up, you know, old school Hungarian parents, guess what we did on Sunday? Nothing. And in Hungary, back in their childhood times, you know, stores, stores weren't open on Sunday. You couldn't go to your TGA Fridays on a Sunday, which I kind of agree with. Why I don't need, I don't need to have everything open on a Sunday. There's... This past Easter Sunday, everything was closed, and it was it was a good feeling to see. Uh, we we drove past the mall here, and to see the the parking lot empty. Would it kill us to have one goddamn day without uh, sales and shopping? Think about it, and you don't even realize how loud all the technology is in your house until you unplug it, and it's quiet. I mean, I. <laughs> It just kills me. And I, I also, what I do, and I, and I, you know, and I know it's hard because especially if you work for yourself, there's always this elastic sense of time. There's a sense, and I think everybody has this now, not just people who have their own businesses, but because of these goddamn iPhones, people can just email you any time of day and you're expected 
to respond. You know, I don't, don't, I, I, this is what I started doing. There's a cutoff time now to when I check the email. Sorry. If you send it at 801, it's not, I'm not going to read it until tomorrow. And to keep those boundaries in place of like, no, no, you, and don't call, don't call my house after 8 p.m. and expect me to answer. Get get your life. Unless you're a doctor or whatever, you know, life-threatening shit. But it's, nothing's worth it. There, There can't be anything this important. Come on. Drive without music. You tried that? That's crazy. We talked about this a little bit at the top. Have you have you done that? It's it's pretty wild the stuff that you think about, the stuff that you reflect upon. Really, and I know a lot of you don't have time to actually take days down. I don't blame you. But there's moments, you know, there's moments where you don't have to cram it with stimulus. You don't have to be. I'm so over goddamn stimulated all the time. Maybe it's because I grew up in the in the '80s where you could kind of choose when you wanted to have the stimulation. You know, when I was a kid, you, you, we didn't even have, I didn't have a VCR until, I don't know, was a, that came along later, but early in my childhood, I'm talking like developmental years, you came home and you, you sat in front of the TV and you turned on the television and you watched the program because you knew it would be on at a certain time. And then when it was done, you stopped watching TV. But now everything's on its own time. Everything you DVR, you can watch it here, you can watch it there. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy way to be, bros. And then the fucking phone people can call you and anytime they want. I used to come home and check the answering machine to see who called. And then you decide when you can call them back. Oh, I sound like I'm 80 years old. Not only that, the compulsive iPhone checking. How many, how many times a day do I need to check for a new email? How many times a day do I have to check? Well, let's see what happened on Instagram in the last five seconds that didn't happen before. It's, it's obsessive. It becomes compulsory. It becomes, it, I get, I get so, and I know that people, I, this isn't a new, a new subject, but it really is eroding. I think, uh, how we do things socially. You ever go out to dinner with someone and you see them checking your phone? I want to fucking grab the phone and throw it across the restaurant. Yeah. Get your life. We talked about waking up and don't reach for that phone. Don't you dare when you wake up and then don't you dare reach for that phone. You give yourself a minute. You give yourself a minute to be a person before you do anything. Also, I was thinking about, remember when you were a kid and uh, for those of us that grew up in the 80s, this is even before when uh, CDs came around, I remember just getting really lost in things, in um, getting really lost in uh, in albums, like in records. I remember... Uh, going through my dad's records and just like, oh, what? Is, this is so amazing. Like, look at the artwork on this thing. And and then you could open it and you could read titles. And and sometimes they had lyrics and you could actually read the lyrics to songs and, and go really deep on stuff. As opposed to now, like you kind of, I download one or two songs of a band I like, but I don't, I don't really go deep on it. I don't like get you know, when you really, it's like listening to an album front to back and you really get into it and you're like, oh shit, God damn it. Listen to Pink Floyd. Remember, remember we get stoned and you listen to Pink Floyd and you go on a journey, you go on these like these deep fucking vision quests, bro. And there's something to that. There's a reason as human beings, we need to go deep on stuff. There's a reason you need to take the time to, to read a book. You know, I, I have this nook now and I, I love it. It's got so many great things about it. I can, I can download books. I'm so embarrassed to read in public. I can download stupid shit that my, if my husband saw it, he makes so much fun of me. But the sad part is I do miss the tangible physical book. And I, because there was something like, oh, like even this Bojer book here, the critique of the political economy, it's, it's on my, my lap and I read this when I was, you know, 22 or 21 and there's little notes that I made and, and it's like taking a, it's like a time travel, man. You're like, Oh, I remember I was so influenced by this. It's so special. You can't, you don't do that on a nook. It's hard to make notes on a digital medium. It's really interesting to think what's going to happen to us, especially in terms of language and communication. I mean, this whole like abbreviating everything and fucking uh, emoticons and, you are instead of Y-O-U-R-E, apostrophe R-E, whatever the hell. 
I feel like I can't write for shit now. I mean, I used to write better. I don't even know how to do that. Wow. Anyways, the point of the story is take a break. Take a break and just sit on a bench. You know, I know I know if you work in an office, I when I used to work in an office, I would I would try to find some place and it's hard in LA that would just be my space that I could just go and get away from all the a-holes that I worked with. I would find like, I remember I worked across from LACMA that uh, it's a museum here in LA and I just found a bench, a bench and some grass. And just that hour spent outside in grass under my feet and I could see sunshine or sunshine and people, you know, running and, and, you know, gardeners raking or whatever the hell. It was just so, it was so peaceful, you know, and I, I try to do that every day and I, I hate that I, I go days sometimes without, without doing that. It makes me sad. You realize how sad you, you get when you don't do that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So go do it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what your day, I don't know what your life is like, but you have fucking five minutes to be a person. Jesus Christ. Be a person. Oh, and another thing I saw. This is totally unrelated. Did you see this woman on the internet? In Tasmania, of all places. I'm not even sure. I think that's near Australia, right? In Tasmania, there was this great, this lady, this meek mom, this sweet lady. She was um, going to thrift stores and buying up Bratz dolls. I think it's Bratz with a Z. And these dolls, man, these Brad's dolls, I remember when they came out, I was working in animation and I was working on Trolls with the Z. That was the competitor. <laughs> and these dolls, they look like hookers. I mean, like legit prostitutes. And little girls are supposed to be like, yeah, this is, this is what I relate to. This is my, this is a mirror, right? This is what I'm supposed to be like. And it's such a, it really sad in my heart that that was what's happening it was called tween culture and uh the the brats brats jesus christ you know is is it any wonder that women aren't uh equal yet because our kids got to grow up our girls have to grow up playing with shit like brats brats little dolls covered in makeup like whores wearing like club clothes it's so weird if i was a little girl now and I someone handed me a Bratz doll I think my head would just explode like what this is what I have to be is this who I have to become to fit in <laughs> I you know Barbie Barbie was shitty enough nobody looked like Barbie did you know anybody look like Barbie I know like one person who looks like Barbie and she's mentally ill because to look like that you have to kind of you have to get plastic surgery right uh, anyway this wonderful woman in Tasmania took these Brad's dolls, rubbed, she used like rubbing alcohol and rubbed the makeup off of their eyes and repainted the eyes and the lips to look like normal children, to look, to look like their daughter, you know, girls that would be her daughter's age. And it's the, it's the raddest thing. Like you see these little girls playing with the dolls and they're like, this doll looks like me. See, I'm doing a Tasmanian accent. This doll looks just like a friend of mine, as opposed to it looking like a scary uh, Frankenstein hooker, which is what we were all meant to play with. It's so insidious. It's such a bummer. And I and I know, I know that if you want to look like a hooker, and you you want to be, you know, you want to dress for the male gaze, that's your fucking thing. You're allowed. You're supposed to be allowed to do it. I get it. But for the love of God, at least give girls the option to play with normal looking toys now. And I really hope that this is kind of a, a nice signal to the toy industry that you can actually make things that little girls don't have to feel like shit about themselves playing with, you know, because I don't see male. I don't know what the male dolls are like. I know Ken was kind of a turd. I think that was unfair. But I mean, is every male toy like a ripped up, shredded um I don't know, like superhero. Like, do they all look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, it's ridiculous. Anyways, there you go. That's my rant this week, you guys. I uh, oh, I should turn that back up. I'm so glad you listened to this. Thank you very much, and I hope that you find peace 
even just for a few minutes in your busy, busy life. We're all so busy, busy, busy. Don't forget, though, hey, guess what? You're going to die. One of these days, you're going to drop fucking dead. Believe that. That is the only certainty in this world. Everything is uncertain, okay? There's no such thing as certainty. You're never going to feel 100% safe or secure. That's an illusion. Security is a fucking illusion. That's why you got to enjoy what's happening right now because you're going to die. So there you go, guys. Just remember to enjoy what the hell is happening to you today because it's not going to last forever, you know? And um, what am I going to remember? The weeks I spent, you know, somewhere in, uh, in Idaho telling jokes? No. I'm going to remember the times I sat on the couch with my husband and the dog. I'm going to remember the times I went to the beach that I actually got out of my house. I'm going to remember going on a bike ride and uh, feeling the wind in my fur. I'm going to remember those times. You're not going to remember the crate and barrel. Bowl inside of a bowl inside of a bowl. God, I hope you don't. <laughs> so there you go. All right. I love you, meows. And uh, until next time, you know what that's been? That's been deep, bro. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.